This is Buy-In, a valuation podcast from Horn Healthcare. What if I had told you in January that telehealth volume would increase 600% in some states by June? Are healthcare transactions going to explode or going to hibernation in the next 12 months? I'm Rudd Blumentritt with Horn Healthcare, and we're back with Bob Homchick, a partner at Davis Wright Tremaine in Seattle, Washington. One of the things that I'm concerned about, and I haven't seen this yet, but is because the data capable of multiple scenarios, you know, that you can develop rationally, that you may find more clients opinion shopping, which from a regulatory standpoint always gives me some stomach acid. <laughs> and the other thing that I'm, I worry about is as the negotiations become more contentious and people start to it be more candid or um, more reckless in um, how the assumptions that are being made and so forth, that the things that really shouldn't be a part of value, downstream referrals and the like, will work their way into the conversation in a way that, that really shouldn't happen. Uh, from certainly from a regulatory standpoint. I think, you know, when you've got volatile times and people under a lot of pressure, the likelihood that the lines are going to be crossed kind of increases. So that's uh, in in some ways, I think, a riskier environment than historically. I agree. And I think I think whenever you get into situations where there's the financial issues that we're seeing, that the distress that we may be seeing, I think that will heighten some of that, that pressure that gets put on both uh, on the valuator side, as well as the probably the attorney side as well to push deals through. I think, you know, we have to always bridge back to, we're still, we're still as far as we know, we'll still be under the regulatory environment that we came into this pre-COVID. And unless that changes until those things change, we still have to operate within those confines and within that model. And maybe more so than ever, it's going to be our job, part of this, to being part of these transactions, to to hold the line, to, to do due diligence and push back on when those things start to enter into the conversation or uh, when we get pressure to do things that down the road could cause problems. Well, I think most people, you know, well, you know, they say desperate times may uh, <laughs> make for desperate right. measures. I think, you know, the the vast majority of the players in the, the healthcare system want to do the right thing and are uh, going into transactions with appropriate motivations and looking for logical business deals and driven by their values and mission and and so forth. And it is an unfortunate side effect of how heavily regulated the industry is, is that it's just really easy to make a mistake. And some of the business imperatives are not well aligned with the regulatory guidelines, which is, you know, what the sprint regulations are really aimed at in many ways, this sort of disconnect between where the industry needs to go and where the regulatory lines are currently drawn. So I think we're, if anything, this this crisis and all of the, you know, the waivers and the changes and everything else that were, you know, implemented very, very quickly they've sort of exacerbated that disconnect 
and the, the view of the disconnect. And I, it will be interesting to see, I know that the Trump administration just recently announced that one of its theories, one of its tools that it's hoping to stimulate recovery is regulatory reform and loosening some of the rules with not only healthcare, but a variety of other industries to try and encourage growth and so forth. And I, I think it's going to take more than the sprint regs, bluntly. I don't know, that's not really the topic today, but it will take more than that to really align the shift to value and the ability to create the types of contractual arrangements and other networks and so forth. But this may be the type of event in history that is necessary to prompt that sort of regulatory reform. Absolutely. And I think this is one of those watershed moments in many ways, obviously telehealth, one of the big ones there. And I guess a question that I might have for you there is, you know, when when the pandemic ends and the start waivers end and they start to get back to uh, a new normal, you know, all of these things, these arrangements that particularly those with physicians that have been implemented during that, during this process, things like hazard pay, what are your thoughts on uh, unraveling those post-COVID uh, I think I mentioned earlier in our conversation, you know, when you, you get into a situation where you're trying to take compensation back from a physician who came in, they worked, they were in a right. hazardous environment, their pay got increased for being maybe more on call, uh, covering more call for being in a hazardous work environment. How do you see those playing out? And then juxtaposing that with the unknowns around how the market may shift from uh, what we considered fair market value pre-COVID to what it may look like post-COVID and how those interplay and how that may play out. I feel like it's something that we're going to, those kind of questions are going to come up with our clients. I'm wondering if, if you see it the same way and how you anticipate that as we move kind of into the post-COVID environment. It's a great question. And I actually, what I have advised my clients and, you know, Several, obviously, have taken advantage of the Stark waivers, just to focus on that. Uh, I think it's very important when entering into one of those relationships, whether it's hazard pay or an adjustment on amount of rent or whatever, that you think about the end at the beginning. The waiver ends when the national health emergency ends. And uh, my advice and what I sort of help people structure are arrangements that automatically either recalibrate or adjust or end simultaneously when the, the COVID pandemic ends. The reaction, two things that I think are good about that. One is, remember, Stark is a strict liability statute. So if you're outside the lines, you're outside the lines, and it doesn't matter sort of how you got there. Secondly is, I think it's really important in entering into like a, a hazard pay arrangement to set expectations up front. And if you've managed those expectations, it will be easier. Okay, I was paying you for ED coverage uh, for X and Y three times the normal amount because there was an incredible shortage of pulmonologists or whatever, you know, ED in, in my area. And I really, you know, that given the surge that, you know, say you're in New York City. But when that ends, when that demand ends, it, your call coverage amount automatically reverts. What you haven't dealt with is the psychological and expectation and fairness issue. And fairness from the perspective of the physician 
may be a very different proposition from fairness from the uh, perspective of the health system. So if you set this up so it, it reverts, you may well need to revisit that. But you need to revisit it with the data and in the context of how the world looks October 1st, 2020, and I just picked that data out randomly when, let's say, the national emergency ends that date, if you're, now you're ratcheting back all of the hazard pay and, and other accommodations, you may well find yourself in a position where you're terminating or amending a variety of these arrangements because the physicians won't put up with it or the their cash flow is such that you know you can't really charge them what was fair market value for this medical office building because they're underwater so I'm not certain I've exactly answered your question, but I, I, I think it's something that you're going to have to deal with real time. We're going to take a quick break. We'll be right back with Bob to discuss more. Buy-in is brought to you by Horn Healthcare. For over 60 years and with more than 70 dedicated accounting and advisory professionals, Horn Healthcare is a decidedly different firm. Find us online at hornllp.com. The advice that, that you prescribed would have been excellent. I guess I think we will see situations, and, and just from my personal experience, I wonder how many of those conversations uh, went along those lines as you prescribed versus, you know, there, there really wasn't a conversation on the front end about that, and so it was kind of left open-ended. And then when the physicians uh, come back to the table, how those may play out, I agree. I think you know, you want to start it out like you want to keep it kind of thing. So it definitely will be interesting to see how that plays out and how that impacts physician compensation and what we consider fair market value going forward. I think, and we, we're going to see a lot of, of changes, societal changes that will obviously impact the healthcare business, how we begin to accept some of the social distancing. Will that become the new normal no contact care, telehealth obviously is something that we're going to be seeing probably a lot more of going forward. I think that's a great question as well. It's actually a, a topic of interest for us. We've actually got a, an episode of buy-in to that topic. But to give you a sort of a preview of that, I, I think in the very near future, big question will be, you know, what happens with telehealth after the emergency declaration ends? Obviously, we've got the waivers in place now. I think the consensus is, is that the, the public health emergency has been a watershed moment for telehealth and that we will see some type of permanency of the regulatory changes that came about because of the public health emergency going forward. So it could take some time. However, I think it's, it's also very possible that we could see the demand for access to telehealth expand rapidly post-COVID. That would most likely be due to things like future outbreaks, or as I mentioned just a moment ago, just this general shift in society around social distancing that basically normalizes so-called no-contact care. So it would, in that case, be more consumer demand-driven. I think in that case, we could very well see those early adopters begin to potentially demand a premium as well as gain market share. If I'm evaluating that question through a valuation lens, I think the answer would most likely lie in how telehealth contributes to the mm -hmm. meeting of healthcare's quadruple aim. That is 
improving outcomes, improving patient experience, lowering costs, and improving clinical experience. If telehealth can contribute to the accomplishment of those things, then I think we could definitely see telehealth providers commanding a premium, if not in the near term, then possibly the not too distant future. Well, I'm always surprised by how well telehealth seems to be accepted and, you know, not, you know, one expects it to have the millennials, but even, um, even the Gen Xers and the boomers uh, seem to adopt. And particularly surprising to me is telehealth and behavioral medicine and have a, a robot give you therapy, I, I, which just is a little counterintuitive to me, but I guess it works. So, <laughs> <laughs> well, and again, yeah, it, I think, in some ways, the public health emergency has forced this uh, upon us. I know I haven't actually experienced a telehealth, had a telehealth experience personally, but I certainly have had friends that have experienced it. And I can tell you that they would not have experienced it to this date and time were it not for it was, it was something they had to do. And from my personal experience in those conversations, it's been a very overwhelmingly positive reaction to that. I think people, it's, you know, we're all creatures of habit. You know, when you're forced to do something and then it turns out to be positive, I think that's going to drive it further. And I think more than anything else, I think consumer demand will probably drive this. And I think the market will have to go there and meet that demand. And I think we'll see a lot of benefits out of that. I think, you know, going back to some of those quadruple aim things, I think, you know, we're just, it's going to improve that patient experience and it's going to lower costs and it's going to lead to better, better outcomes in a lot of cases. So I think that we're going to see a lot more of that. Do think it's going to be particularly interesting in our rural markets, which, you know, we serve a lot of rural clients. Mm -hmm. I think that um, that will change the landscape in a lot of ways, much faster than we could have ever dreamed just a few months ago. So uh, that's, that's exciting to see. The other thing from the provider end of it, Physicians who would never have done a telehealth consult and never would have gone through the process of learning how to set it up and how it needs to be documented and structured and so forth, they've now had that experience. They now got trained. And for the boomer physicians in particular, I think you've now trained a workforce that hates to be trained. Right. So it, it really could, as you say, a watershed moment, I think it may well be. Well, yeah, I think that's the other side of the coin. I mentioned, talked to individuals who experienced this firsthand and came away with a very positive port on that. I've also talked to physicians, to your point, who had never experienced telehealth and now are immersed in it and are promoting it and see the benefits. It's not something that they just have to do out of necessity. They're seeing actual value in it, benefits, not only, you know, one again, going back to the quadruple aim, improving the clinical experience is actually improving the the clinical experience on the provider side. So uh, again, when you look at it from those standpoints, it's pretty obvious to me that we're going to see a rapid expansion and adoption of that. So the question of the premium, I definitely think that those that have embraced it, those that have moved forward with it during the pandemic, have a lot to gain, not only in terms of a premium, but also in terms of market share. 
I believe we've maybe come to the end of our time today. Time flies when you're having a good conversation. Bob, it has been great pleasure to talk to you today. Well, thank you for inviting me. As always, when I talk to you guys, I learn something and it's been a pleasure. Same here. Same here. Thanks to our listeners for tuning in to Buy In. Remember, you can find new episodes of this show at hornhealthcare.com. This is Rudd Blumentritt from Horn. Until next time. Thank you for listening to Buy In, a podcast from Horn Healthcare. Buy In is produced by Horn LLP. Stay tuned for more episodes coming soon on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, and Spotify. For more about Horn, visit hornllp.com.